Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It's a new week. It's the Tuesday edition. We go Tuesday through Saturday now. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means from Cleveland.com, and we're doing assistant coaches. Nathan brought this up at the end of a previous survey podcast, and we had gone so long, we said, let's save the assistants for a deep dive on their own. And it's going to be so deep, but it's not that deep. We just said, we can't, we can't do half an hour on every assistant on the staff. That would be like five hours of podcasting just on assistant coaches. Nobody wants that. No offense to assistant coaches. We can do it. We're just not going to. We would do it if we didn't have any discipline. We choose my wife. My wife in the last two years has adopted this uh, way of eating. It's a particular plan she follows. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle thing. And she always talks about how it's not that she can't eat something. We always say, it's like, oh, we're getting pizza. It's not like, oh, mom can't eat pizza. It's that she chooses not to. She can. She chooses not to eat it. She chooses to eat the healthy thing. So we choose not to do a five-hour podcast on assistant coaches. We could. We choose. We make the smart choice. That's what this offseason is about on Buckeye Talk, making smarter choices. We're not going to gorge ourselves on pizza every meal. We're going to be just light. This is a little light. It's like, it's like a little salad of assistant coach talk. So we're doing the assistance on the offensive side of the ball in this podcast, and we'll do the defensive side of the ball in a podcast later this week. So what we did is we sent it out to the tech subscribers, and we asked for grades about everybody, and we also asked for rankings. So we're going to use that to frame the discussion, as we always do. And let me ask you guys this. The first thing I said was rank the Ohio State offensive assistants in order of how well they do their job, how good they are at what they do. Steven, who do you think won? Who was the top ranking? And again, just so you know, there happens to be someone out there who doesn't have the assistant list right in front of them. Receivers coach Brian Hartline, running backs coach Tony Alford, quarterbacks coach Corey Dennis, tight ends coach slash offensive coordinator Kevin Wilson, and offensive line coach Greg Studrawa. Who won, Steven? Ron Hartland probably won this hands down. It probably wasn't even close. Yeah, landslide. All right. Who was second? Kevin you Wilson. Were both, 
you were both correct that Brian Hartline won. You say Kevin Wilson second, Stephen? Yeah. You say Nathan? I would vote Kevin Wilson second. I think right now, though, fans may prioritize recruiting to the point that they might put Tony Alford second. But that's also – hold up. Before you give us the answer, that might be why they also dock him because, yes, the success in 2021 was great, but there's a reason why it had to be so great. As, as somebody pointed out, uh, and if I can find the uh, text at some point, I will, it, it's that a lot of guys kind of have changed how they're viewed like in the last year, right? That there was, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, oh, this guy was recruiting well. Oh, no, now he's not recruiting as well. Oh, this guy hit a slump. Now he's doing great. Um, that's, that is interesting. Like, how do you – is this Tony Alford who, like, didn't get a 2020 running back? Or is it Tony Alford who got two studs in 2021, right? It's like, well, you're, you're factoring it all in. Brian Hartline, runaway winner. Brian Hartline, again – on a scale of one to five, right? So you had to rank them one through five. Brian Hartline is a 1.24, which means like practically everybody put him first. Next was Kevin Wilson. And he was comfortably second, I would say. 2.59. Then Greg Studrawa third, 2.96. Tony Alford solidly fourth at 3.56. And Corey Dennis solidly fifth at 4.66. Corey Dennis is a difficult answer. Mm-hmm. And a lot of texters wrote in to say, I didn't know what to do with Corey Dennis. So we are going to talk about that as well. And listen, I, I have to, I think we also have to sort of say this off the top. Nathan, I don't know, especially off a weird pandemic year where like we didn't talk to assistants at all. Usually, I mean, we did a little bit, but usually we're getting like a couple assistants every week and you're getting a vibe and like everything. I don't know that we have as good of a read on the Ohio State assistant coaches right now as we normally do. And I'm not sure that our grades on these guys are going to be maybe as informed as they should be, much less asking texters to do this. Yeah, and I think it probably definitely affected my grades. I don't think – I'm a notoriously tough grader on these polls and and surveys that we do, I think. And I don't think mine were especially harsh this time. You ought to remember – how many of these guys at some point during the season, I guess the only ones we know about are Hartline and Dennis, right? That for sure missed time because of, at least on the offense, missed time because of their own COVID problems. So you're taking a guy out of the middle of a season for 10 games. So you got to factor that in or 10 days, I should say. So you got to factor that into how you grade these guys. Um, But you're right. It's, it's, it's always tough. I think to grade assistant coaches on a one year basis. It's, it's really, I think it's a much more of a long view thing. Well, but, 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 but my grades here are not a one-year basis. I mean, I'm not, I don't think anyone's grade should be – I didn't say this year. So I think everybody is in totality. To me, is like, how good of a job are you doing? Of course, the one year affects it. So that's, that's the hard thing. It's like we have a shift in perception, and we think I have a little, a little less information than we normally do. Let me move to the second question, and I'm, I, I wanted to ask this separately, and I'm not sure that it needed to be asked separately. I asked – so we, the first one was asked, asking who did their job the best. Now it's ranked the Ohio State offensive assistants in order of how important it is for Ohio State to keep them on staff. Because that doesn't have to be the same thing, but it turns out here it was the same thing. It's actually the same order. Heartline won, but Heartline was number one even more on this than he was on the other one. He's a 1.15 here. He was a 1.24 in how good a job did he do. Next was Kevin Wilson. Then Greg Studrawa, then Tony Alford, then Corey Dennis. 
Steven, that's no surprise, right? Like, I, I guess I would say Brian Hartline is doing such a good job. It's going to be interesting when he leaves. I think everybody else is probably doing a pretty good job, but I don't know that any of them are irreplaceable where I could understand if right now fans viewed Brian Hartline as borderline irreplaceable as the receivers coach. I think kind of look at this in two different ways. I think part of the irreplaceability is the fact that he's still at the very big, literally his very third year as an assistant coach in college football. And so his role here can only grow. Maybe he's an offensive coordinator in the next two or three years here or whatnot. Um, but then also, yeah, he played here and he, he's recruiting guys to do something that he already did. He play, played wide receiver at Ohio state and then played it in the NFL. So he knows exactly what these recruits are trying to do and trying to get to, but also at the same time, I think to play devil's advocate a little bit, Yes, he's doing a heck of a job recruiting and developing talent. But I also feel like as far as important, a lot of what he's able to do successfully is linked to what is going on in the quarterback room and the development there and then the, and then the offensive philosophy because you could be the best wide receiver developer in the world. I mean, Michael Thomas got developed here. And yet he didn't get thrown the ball, and he wasn't a first-round draft pick, and he wasn't considered one of the best wide receivers in the country when he was in college, even though the talent suggested he was. So – I guess the point, I don't know if he, he's clearly doing the best job. I don't know if he's the most important just because some of what he's able to do successfully is linked to another position. You think it's possible that if and when Brian Hartline ever leaves, while Ryan Day is still the head coach, we may find out that a decent chunk of what receivers were coming here for is actually Ryan Day and the Ryan Day offense, and that all credit to Brian Hartline for executing it, but maybe the next guy in line will be able to replicate a pretty good chunk of what Hartline's doing. I do think there is a two things can be true category where it's, yeah, Brian Hartline can go off somewhere else and be, let's say somebody hires him as an offensive coordinator and he dominates that as well. But the next guy who comes in to be the wide receiver coach, yeah, is just as good, just uses a different selling point because he hasn't necessarily walked in these kids' shoes before. All right, let's start grading individual assistants now. And I, I don't want to start with Heartline because I, I don't want to start with Heartline. I want to start with Kevin Wilson, who's the offensive coordinator and works with Ryan Day, has worked with Ryan Day the whole time. We know, obviously, Ryan Day is still the play caller here, but Kevin Wilson is a former head coach. He is important to this staff. He's the tight ends coach. We know Tim Hinton, who used to be the tight ends coach and is not a full-time assistant, but is on staff. Tim Hinton still comes up sometimes when tight ends are talked about. Kevin Wilson is not here because he's the world's greatest tight end. He's here to help devise this offense and to help run this offense and to be Ryan Day's right-hand man. Kevin Wilson is a guy who was incredibly influential in the rise of the spread offense, was a big-time coordinator at Northwestern, was a big-time coordinator at Oklahoma, becomes the head coach at Indiana, has a falling out there, at least moderately controversially, didn't just lose his job over wins and losses there, lands at Ohio State, has had a fairly uneventful tenure, I feel like, at Ohio State, that he came here sort of like needing to – and we don't need to get into the, all the Indiana stuff. I think people view that in varying degrees of how serious it was. It was serious enough for him to lose his job over it as the head coach. And then his defensive coordinator, Tom Allen, took over, and look, everybody loves Tom Allen now. But he's kind of come here, I think, to rehab his reputation in some way. And also, this is a really good job. If you're not going to be a head coach and you're an offensive mind and you're going to be in college football, you know, offensive coordinator, Ohio State's a really good job. 
But I almost think, Nathan, it's not that we forget about Kevin Wilson, but I think it's possible we can forget about sort of how good Kevin Wilson's resume is and that, yes, Ryan Day is like an offensive guru, but so is Kevin Wilson. And I don't know that underappreciated is the right word. I don't know what the right word is. But I'm curious, Nathan, what grade did you give Kevin Wilson, A through F, and how do you think he's viewed by the general Ohio State fan base? I gave him an A, and I think it's a little it's, – it's out of sight, out of mind a little bit in some ways because they don't throw to the tight ends that much, and that's what gets the biggest flash as, as a tight end. That's what gets you talking about the tight ends the most. So even though we do spend some time talking about how well they block, and, and so does he, if you ever get a chance to talk to him, he'll probably walk up on strangers on the street and tell them how good yeah. his tight ends block. Um, that is <clears> – <throat> That, that it, it, it's not as in your face as any other position group on the offense. You've got a quarterback as the head coach and the guy who is branded as this being his offense. So, so Kevin Wilson is not even really out front answering things about the offense that much. So there's just a lot of ways where he is, is just not out front the way a lot of other assistants are, even though he has a, a higher title than so many other assistants. So I, I think I was encouraged to hear that they, they ranked him so highly um, when they were just putting their one through five, because I think from, again, from, from fans who I think maybe follow it closer, like our fans do that are, 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 are texters do who are, who are smarter and really tuned into this. I think they realized the contribution, maybe especially the contribution of having someone with Wilson's background and experience and tenure to be here at the same time that Ryan Day is getting things started as such a young head coach? I think it helps, right? It helps Ryan Day to have a guy like this now that he's the head coach because they were co-OCs before, and it seemed like they worked pretty well together. I mean, Ryan Day kept him around when Ryan Day took over. But if Ryan Day didn't have a guy like this, he's a lot like Greg Madison, I think, right? That I don't know that Kevin Wilson is blowing it up on the recruiting trail. I don't really know much about how, what Kevin does, but it's not, you know, Hartline and Alford and Corey Dennis as a younger guy, like they're out there, right? They're at front and center, but Kevin Wilson's job, I think is to like structure the offense and keep this offense rolling so that Ryan day doesn't have to spend all his time on the offense. And I, I do think you could probably find another veteran offensive mind if Kevin Wilson ever does leave and he wants to be a head coach again that's clear I don't know if he will be or not if he ever does leave I like I think Stephen they could find somebody kind of like Kevin Wilson that I don't think he's irreplaceable but I think he's good and probably overqualified for the job he has and as it turns out, I mean, like when Ohio State hired him, it's kind of a little bit like, what's Ohio State? Like you're going right to this guy. I mean, this guy is fresh off getting booted at Indiana. And Ohio State's like, we'll take him. And it's like, did you, you know, and Jesus said, oh, we vetted it, whatever. And it was like, it was a little quick for me. They were, you know, whatever. But now that he's been here and doing it, I don't know. Steven, did you give him an A or did you give him a B? What would you say about this? I gave him an A um, along some of the same lines that Nathan was saying. I mean, his room uh, – Jeremy Ruckert's probably an All-American talent who's never can, going to can be Can I home. say, by the way, it's 5%. I mean, you the tight end coaches where, like, you hide the guy that – like, you, like I, I, don't, I don't care about the position coaching of Kevin Wilson at all. You, you, you guys seem to be more invested in that than I am. No, it's just on the list of things. It just happened to be the first thing that came out of my mouth. I wouldn't say it's the most important thing. It's just on the list of – 
this is the room you were assigned to. Can you develop the room? Uh, I think he showed uh, – I mean, the Michigan State game where he was the only play caller out there. It wasn't a collaborative effort with him and Ryan Day. It was just him. And, I mean, he aced that with flying colors. He showing, yeah, I can still do this. I can you know, still stretch my legs a little bit and, and get creative out here with the offense. And even when we're missing – Four start, three starters on the offensive line and and a lot of other guys on, on the defensive side as well. To, he showed some things there. And then from a recruiting standpoint, since tight ends is the primary thing he needs to recruit, I think he's getting the best that the Ohio State is going to get. You're not going to get a Jeremy record every single – a top 100 tight end. That was rare that that even happened. You're going to get guys in the 200s and 300s and maybe even the 400s sometimes, and those guys are quality. Sam Hart – I mean, the recruits, the 2021 recruits rave about him all the time. I think he's one of the more underrated players in the class because we talk about everybody else. And then Benji Gosnell and Bennett Christian, given their rankings, you might not think they're that good. They're pretty quality at what they can bring in, bring to this table. So I, I think he's recruiting well. His room is developing. And, yeah, he's keeping this offense afloat and keeping things running smoothly. So he gets an A. I guess – so I didn't give anybody – like, you couldn't do an A- minus or a B plus. I'm not doing that. You've got to do an A through an F. So he got 53% gave him a B. 45% of the texters gave him an A. So it's pretty even. 2% gave him a C. I did the math on all these so I could get like their GPA. It's a 3.42. So like a B plus. So pretty good. I mean, you know, basically split between A and B. I think he does what you want him to do. I actually, I don't know. Sometimes the tight end, I, I don't know if we're supposed to have a sliding scale for tight end recruiting. I mean, they're tight end. They're not getting – I mean, Ruckert was a huge get, right? But, I mean, they're not – Would you they, expect that, though? Would you expect the top 100 tight end to consistently come in when they see they're not getting the ball? No, but I also don't want to play the game of like, oh, well, they're not but – they're, but their tight end's recruiting is still great or whatever. I mean, like, I don't know. I wouldn't come here if I were a tight end because they're not going to throw me the ball enough. But then I also don't want to, like I, – I, I'm – I don't want to curve it too much and be like, oh, their tight ends are, you know, like what are their tight end by position? The guys they have coming, right? Mm-hmm. So what's their by position rank? Sam Hart is 15. Uh, Benji Gosnell is 12th and Bennett Christian is 21st. Okay. I guess that's pretty good. I don't know. It's, I, guess I mean, end. given, given what the, you know, what you're walking into in this room, it's, it's decent. Yeah. I mean, and Ruckert, Ruckert's a great player to get him to come here, and, and he's done everything that they've allowed him to do. So you get, you get bonus points for having Jeremy Ruckert in your room. And Luke Farrell developed like a champ. I yeah. mean, like Luke Farrell, again, was a good recruit, wasn't a top 150 national recruit, and developed into the, exactly the kind of tight end that Ohio State wants here. So um, I think it makes sense. I think if you were, had to give him – if you had to pick, I think we all picked A. I think that makes sense. But I also think if – I think they could find another Kevin Wilson. Not automatically, but I think they'd be okay if and when – Nathan, when the word comes down, Kevin Wilson leaves to be the head coach at East Carolina, like are people going to freak out or will they be kind of okay whenever that happens? I think they'll be kind of okay. Again, I don't think it's, – it's not mutually exclusive to respect the job someone's doing, but then also not freak out about him leaving. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I think they realize, you know, that his recruiting influence might be limited relative to some other guys and that you already have another offensive mind there that you, you trust to some level. Um, but that would be an interesting scenario is we, we've talked obviously last week on the pod about 
which way Ryan Day is going to go with his defensive coordinator someday when he has to replace his co-offensive coordinator, essentially. What direction does he turn then? Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, quick break. We'll come back. Four more assistant coaches here to talk about the Ohio State offensive side of the ball. You listen to Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Let's do stud. Let's do stud. Buckeye Talk, let's do stud. Um, Greg Studrawa is a guy, again, that a lot of texters sort of said um, difficult to do, interesting to do, but also they've come around on him. And again, this is why I always say it's like you're allowed to change your opinion on people based on how they're doing their job. And I think he's been doing, especially from a recruiting standpoint, but he's been doing his job like better lately than he was for a little while. So from the 208, it's time to give Studrawa his praises. Where the O-line is now, both in recruiting and development, is remarkable compared to 2016-2018. The O-line compares favorably to any group on the team outside of the receiver room. So I think, I think that is probably, Stephen, like I, I, I think that's pretty representative of what fans are thinking about Greg Studrawa now because it's at the moment – it's kind of hard to argue with what's, what's, what's happening with his group. He said a five-star in like five straight classes. So I, I know people are a, a little you know, upset that he didn't get a, a five-star tackle in this class, but you got Paris Johnson last year. And the year before that, he got Harry. And you know, the year before that, he got MPF. The year before that, he got Wyatt Davis. And he got Donovan Jackson this year. So as long as that trend continues, and next year he does get either Zach Rice or Gunnar Gibbons, or, I mean, if, if they keep updating his rankings and somebody else ends up a five-star tackle, one of those guys, then I think that trend continues and you're fine. And then, yeah, the room is – the future is great. This was one of the best offensive lines in the country this year. I think they led the – I think Ohio State led the nation among power five schools in rushing yards per game. Given what this running back situation was for much of, the, much of the year, that's pretty impressive that this line was blocking for that. So, yeah, I, I think people can be a little tough on him at times when it seems kind of undeserving. From the 813, I think if anyone is judging this objectively, Stud did the best job, and it's not even close. I've been very critical of him, but when you look at the context of the season of how he had to constantly shuffle guys around to get the consistent production, it's pretty remarkable. I think Brian Hartline might win the survey, but let's be honest, I could have coached that talented group and gotten decent production. So I do think there are people, again, sort of coming around on Stud, and I think, Nathan, when I look at – and, and we've talked about this a lot, but when I look at the way Nicholas petit Frere at right tackle and Thayer Munford at left tackle, the way they played this year, I mean, Greg Studrawa gets a lot, a lot of credit for that, right? Yeah, I mean, what's the, 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 the weak spot on this offensive line this year was a true sophomore who was essentially playing out of position, Right. I mean, they had one guy on the offensive line that people were, were consistently critical of, and that the grading, if you go by pro football focus or whatever, would suggest was, was the weakest of the, of the five guys. But when you look at the context of that, uh, <laughs> it might have been an accomplishment to get what they got out of Harry Miller this year at left guard. And I'm really intrigued to see what he can do in the next year. I mean, I, I gave Studrawa an A as well. I'm sounding like such a homer today, especially compared to how I usually grade. But, I, I mean, again, it, as far as the talent they're bringing in, and, and I think most importantly, the development and the production. I mean, you know, Wyatt Davis comes in as a five-star and becomes a unanimous All-American. Thayer Munford comes in as sort of a project and is going to be a four-year starter. 
that's a that's a big variance in terms of the talent that you're bringing into the program. But the what you're ending up turning them into on average as your starters is pretty close to the same. I think that's um, an accomplishment. And late in the season, the answer to Harry Miller's struggles, but also him, you know, catching COVID was put another top 100 interior offensive lineman on the field and things worked just as smoothly. They actually were better with Matt Jones out there as a left guard. You mentioned the the Michigan State game as being like a uh, a testament to Kevin Wilson. It was definitely a testament to Greg Studrawa that they replaced essentially four of those spots. If you consider Miller moving over, four of those guys were first-time starters at their positions in a real Big Ten game, and 52 to 12, they did all right. And you The look, fact that Justin Fields was only sacked three times in that game is impressive. You, you look at the guys that have come through here, and there haven't really been – I'm trying to think the last one – of like a big-time recruit like who didn't develop on the offensive line. And like even like Max Ray, as we've talked about, like a top 150 national recruit. You know, there's a lot of good players here, but when he had to play against Michigan State, he did his job. And Matthew Jones, who's a top 100 national recruit, and for a while it felt like, oh, is he going to get lost on the interior of the offensive line? It's like, no. He played a bunch this year, did his job, and he's going to fight to start next year. That it does feel like, you know, it's, it's the recruiting and development idea of it combined. And it, I think the thing that the, the criticism of Stud was in the recruiting side of it, in a little dip there. But once they get that role, and it does seem like this guy – can develop offensive linemen. Joel in Phoenix gave comments for everybody. I'll just read his stud comment. He received some deserved crap from Ohio State fans for missing on recruits in the past and some development issues. For instance, needing to bring in Jonah Jackson as a transfer. But he gets a ton of credit for this line, including the Michigan State game. And this offensive line, I mean, this offensive line was really good and it feels like it's going to bounce back and be just as good next year and, and that has to reflect on the assistant coach. Steven, it is difficult sometimes, and I don't know. Maybe you have a, some handle on this. We always credit the position coach for the recruiting of that position, of course. And sometimes that's not, you know, like maybe there's an area recruiter that really developed the relationship, or maybe the head coach did a great job on something. So I don't know specifically. We know Stud sat outside Wyatt Davis's house, right? I mean, we know some of these. I don't know exactly what he did for Luke Whippler or Donovan Jackson or whatever, but they are – Harry Miller. There were some other coaches involved with Harry Miller, right? But, I mean, there yeah. are – there are they are getting national high four-star and five-star recruits on the offensive line on a regular basis. I'm not trying to take away any credit from Stud for that, but I, I, I'm looking for any context on – it's not only about the position coach there. Yeah, yeah. For Harry Miller speaking to his mom directly about this, that's all Ryan Day. That is 100%. Ryan Day is the reason why they are at Ohio State and maybe not even at Michigan, to be honest with you. So Stud obviously was, was part of it as the secondary because it's position coach, but that's all, <clears throat> that's all Ryan Day. I, I think the Donovan Jackson one, that's from talking to Donovan about it, that's all Stud. He, he identified that early when Donovan was like an eighth or ninth grader and said, yeah, you're coming with us. Oh, you're actually from Ohio? Yeah, you're definitely coming with us. And I think the same, not the same thing with MPF. That's all Greg Stajawa. Um, and then Paris Johnson, I think that's just everybody. That's the, the awe of Urban Meyer got him here. And then when Urban Meyer left, we all know that story. He decided to go take some visits and do his due diligence. But then Ryan Day, Greg Stajawa, everybody, that's every coach on the staff, every GA, every QC 
was involved with making sure Paris Johnson didn't go anywhere when Urban Meyer retired. So of the five guys, three of them are all because Jadrawa and the other two are more of a group effort. So, Nathan, you gave him an A. Steven, what do you give Stud? I'm going to give him an A, uh, and I think that Michigan State game really props it up. Um, but it's like if we were to be minuses, it would be a minus. Yeah, it's hard. I guess I was, I was thinking I'd give him a B, but I don't know what I would question at this point. I mean, I, the stuff you question is more in the past, so it factors in. But I think at the moment, and it all matters, but you give him an A. The texters, 57% gave him a B. 34% gave him an A, 8% gave him a C. So his, his overall uh, GPA is 3.26, which is a little behind Kevin Wilson, also a B plus. So, you know, I'll take it. I think you take a B plus home and work hard to try to get that A. Let's do Tony Alford next. Again, this is a, a sort of a tale of, of two recruiting classes for Tony Alford. But Steven, at the moment, I don't know. I think he had JK in the 2017 class. That was great. Then, like, the Brian Sneed, Master Teague, Mayan Williams, there weren't quite as Steel Chambers, Marcus Crowley. There weren't, like, the big-name dudes there. And I think at running back for Ohio State, it is reasonable to expect them to be able to track the big-name dude. And he did not lock it down for a while, which created opportunity, which helped lead to Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor in this class. So it is, at least from a recruiting standpoint, a little bit, of a complicated evaluation of Tony Alford if you're trying to look at the whole picture and not just right this very second? You have to give him a B um, because of those re- – yes, you wouldn't got the number one running back in the country and never prior, but there's a reason why you had, you had to go do that. As a matter of, if you didn't do this, then your job is probably on the line. It had to be this extreme. Uh, but then also, I mean, the 2018, that mess of trying to use a two-back system and how that didn't work is – why you had no choice but to just give J.K. the ball in 2019 because of what you did in 2018. It was very clear that J.K. should have just gotten the ball in both of those seasons. And then the same kind of thing this year. I know it's a weird year where you didn't really – neither one of those guys were returning starters and Trey Sermon got here late. But still, it it, it was weird the first few weeks of the season. And really the only reason why Trey Sermon started going crazy like that is because Master T got a concussion and couldn't go back in the game for the Big Ten championship game. So I think, yes, the recruiting is great. And, yes, we found out Trey Sermon was awesome. But those weren't decisions you made because you just wanted to make them. You were kind of forced into that corner of, have, of having to do it. Steve, or Nathan, I want to ask you specifically about the Master Teague-Trey Sermon balance this year and how it worked out. And Tony Alford does get some credit for Trey Sermon choosing to transfer here because I think the existing relationship that Sermon and Alford had factored into that. So it's not a high school recruit, but he also kind of recruited Trey Sermon to get here. And Trey Sermon ran for more yards in the game than any running back in Ohio state history. How do you view this, Nathan? How do you view Tony Alford? Because that really is the position coach of all the stuff. When you're the position coach, you decide who plays at your position. That's like kind of in the moment. One of the main things you do, how do we evaluate Alford on the Teague Sermon? timeshare well I mean it seems like he was making much the same read that we were making as we watched that team play right I mean we we were not impressed with Trey Sermon early this season people in general were not that impressed with Trey Sermon this season early this season and Master Teague was running better um, and so they I thought they did the smart thing I thought you know if they didn't maybe have their answer when they started the season when one of them um, started to break away a little bit that's who they rode with and I don't really fault them for not having switched to Trey Sermon earlier. 
um, because at the time that one of them was proving who should get the carries, it wasn't Trey Sermon. So uh, I think that he does get some some credit for bringing him here. And I think you probably also have to give him some credit with, you know, helping Trey, or, uh, helping Trey Sermon kind of pull out of that eventually. Um, but uh, as we said before the season, I, I thought really this year, 2020 running production was going to essentially come down to how well this line played. And I think that was still a huge consideration in what they did as a running production this year. Yeah, we're going to learn a lot about Tony Alford in trying to develop Evan Pryor and Travion Henderson to get ready for next year. And then also in how he figures this currently six-player room out, what he does and the decisions he makes with not just the two new guys, but Master Teague and Mayan Williams or Marcus Crowley and Steel Chambers. So um, and what the, did let's you say real quick, like the thing that has kind of pulled his grade down for a lot of people and possibly even for us was the, the whiff in the 2020 recruiting class. But it's almost a thing where like <laughs> you, you, you took on too ambitious of a project and then didn't finish it off and you got the grade that resulted. You know what I mean? Like you don't get like, it isn't like you, they weren't grading on a curve there. Like you didn't turn in the, you didn't turn in the assignment or you turned in less of the assignment than you promised. So that affects the grade. So it's, it's even there. It was like, yes, you, you still have to criticize him for that, but it, there's some context is important too. <laughs> you did all that. And then you had to stay after class for like the f- last four weeks of the semester and do all this extra credit. You had to, to get, get extra credit. You had yeah. to go get Evan Pryor. <laughs> Yeah, and it's one of those things. I mean, I think others have made the point. It's like, and, I, and Tony Alford, and, t- and talking to Tony Alford about it, and I never really wrote the thing that I pressed him on a couple times. It's like, what, 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 why did it work this time and it didn't work before? And his point is, I didn't do anything different. And they tried to get two running backs in 2020, B. John Robinson and the guy from Florida whose name I can never remember. Jalen Knighton. Jalen Knighton. So they tried to get B. John Robinson and Jalen Knighton and went 0 for 2. Then they tried to get Trayvon Henderson and Evan Pryor and went two for two. And it's like, well, what'd you do different? And Tony Alford says, I didn't do anything different. I did, took the same approach. I'm the same guy. And one time it didn't work and one time it did. But at some point, I mean, you're graded on results. I mean, I'm sorry that the world grades on results, but we're not in the try hard business. So I like, I, I guess I understand what he's saying, but like, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that I give him a pass for what happened in 2020 like that was not good what happened in 2020 right I mean it's not right that was not good but what happened in 2021 is great and I feel like in trying to grade Tony Alford here are you you guys are both B's you said is that right yes Mm -hmm. I am okay I'm a B too and the the texters are B's Tony Alford 71% B 15% A 14% C 1% D but I feel like this is Tony Alford if he was your student he would get a B for the year without ever getting a B on an individual test. 100%. Yep. Every test is an A or a C. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Tony, you buckled down. Way to go. Tony, what happened? Tony, you killed it. <laughs> Tony, what are you doing? Didn't you study? And the average is a B. Not Parent only that, but he's also – would be awesome because it's just – your son could be a 4.0 student if he would just apply himself every single time. And not every, Even last year, he probably gets a C – and J.K. Dobbins had the best single season that any running back has ever had here. Yeah, and it's like – and not only that, but it's like he's a student who has taken the ACT and is, like, waiting on that score to come back, and it might be, like, perfect or, like, darn near it if Travion Henderson hits. You know what I mean? So maybe his grades don't matter. Maybe it's just he nailed this one thing. 
Because when you look at it, I mean, at his high end, I mean, to pull Henderson and Pryor in the same class equals anything Brian Hartline has done. It's just that Brian Hartline, like, seems to do that every year, right? But, like, Tony Alford's top end is as good as you can get. I mean, I can't believe that they got this. I can't believe they got two top 100 overall players in the country, both at running back in the same class. It's remarkable. And I think you also have to credit Tony Alford. The relationship he had with, with J.K. Dobbins was, I think, the, the kind of coach-player relationship that you hope for. They've both talked about that at length. I think Tony Alford relates to guys really well. And I think he establishes genuine relationships with guys when they get here. And for instance, Nathan, what you talked about with the idea that Trey Sermon had a rough start and an unbelievable finish, Tony Alford kept him from getting so down on himself that they lost him, right? Which is, that's a great credit to Trey Sermon, but somebody's keeping him involved there. Like, hey, when Master Teague is having the games where Master Teague's getting the ball 20 times and Trey Sermon's getting it 10, and Trey Sermon didn't check out. So, I mean, something, there's some credit to be given there. But I do think in the end, almost everybody would agree that overall, this is a B for Tony Alford, but trending the right way, right? I mean, that's how you would end the parent-teacher conference here. Solid B, trending up. Overall GPA, 2.99, which is like right. I mean, he's exactly, it was like 71% B, 15% A, 15% C. It's like, it is, it's exactly what we're talking about. He is the B-est B that you could be. (laughs) That's the most – your kid has so much potential, but he doesn't always tap into it great I've ever heard in my life. But, but, but also, again, I don't – I think he's a very good running backs coach. He wants to be a head coach. He wanted the Colorado State job. That was his alma mater. It didn't, he didn't get that. Kevin Wilson was interested in that one too. You know, you don't want to take it for granted, but when Stan Drayton left and they replaced him with Tony Alford, who came from Notre Dame, that was like a really good hire. That turned out that was a really good hire by Urban Meyer, that Stan Drayton was a guy who uh, had been reliable here, and he kind of left in a weird situation, like right after signing day. It was right right when Mike Weber signed, and what's going on? How are they going to salvage the room? And Tony Alford came in and I think, like, fixed everything and even raised the level a little bit. So you don't assume anything. You know, I think they could find another good running backs coach if and when Tony Alford ever gets a head coaching job. But I think he's doing he's doing a pretty good job right now. All right, break again. We'll be back with the two, I think, probably most interesting evaluations here. Brian Hartline and Corey Dennis. Offensive assistance on Buckeye Talk. We'll be right back. All right, star pupil Brian Hartline. I'll just give you the grade. 98% gave him an A. Two percent gave him a B, and one person gave him a C. I, I think maybe that they, maybe they hit the wrong button. I don't I don't know what I don't know what that would be. Um, but his a, he's a three point nine six. That's an A plus. So so Nathan, maybe this isn't. I, I said it's the two most interesting. This actually might be the least interesting because everybody yeah. agrees that Brian Hartline is awesome, Nathan. And what else is there to say? I don't know what. Where's the where's the detrimental thing you would say about him to this point I mean again this sounds like we're um too over the top about this but I mean he's he's keeps pulling in the best receiver recruiting classes in the country they keep going out and producing on the field uh you see his recruiting influence actually extending I think beyond just the receiver room and um 
he's part of the by bringing in that talent he's part of the engine that makes this offense as impressive as it is so I don't really know what else. And then also, I think you can also talk about intangibles, just like his personality, I think, is starting to get out there a little bit and and be a, a positive thing for the program. So I, all, all of those things, like I don't, I don't know what you would knock him for at this point. He's literally bringing in the best receiver every single year. Julian Fleming was the number one receiver. Emeka Abuka is the number one receiver. Caleb Burton is back in that number one receiver. He's literally bringing in the best receiver talent in the country every he's had one miss and that was Amani Winfield who just decided to stay home at Texas, which, I mean, you can't always compete with somebody wanting to stay home. So that's his only miss. And then the only other complaint you could really have is Chris Olave came back. And so what does that mean for all the talent that was behind him that should have been able to step into a bigger role next year, which isn't really a complaint because you brought back Chris Olave and we saw what him and Garrett Wilson did this past year. Yeah. I mean, that's not a knock against Heartline and, and, and and really that you'd give him, a lot of the credit for a guy who came in as the number 399 recruit in the country. And people are shocked that he's not leaving after three years. I, I think that that says as much about the job Hardline has done as anything in some ways, not, not, not giving him I and mean, give Chris Olave some credit for the work he's done too, obviously. But. And there is something about what he provides to the staff. I mean, you always, I think you want to balance in your staff in a lot of different ways, but part of it is, is an experience and you want some older guys who have been around and you want some younger guys who were getting into it and might provide a different energy. I mean, you know, again, Kerry Combs is older and how could you ever have more energy than Kerry Combs? So I don't want to be ageist here, but you don't want a staff with all 55 year old assistants. I mean, that's, that's not what you would want. So when you have a guy, Greg, Greg Madison was approaching 70, Larry Johnson's approaching 70, Brian Hartline's 34. That helps balance out your staff. And so for Heartline to be that guy also, I think at times a place like Ohio State can have difficulty finding the young guys. No, we'll get to the other guy. But right that like, because it's like, how do you, how do you show that you're worthy of being an assistant at Ohio State when you're so young? And then also having an alum is great. Like it's not, you don't have to have one. But Luke Fickle was one here for a long time that he played at Ohio State and then it just adds a whatever little percent difference, right? And to have a guy like that on staff, you don't want 10 alums, but man, I think your ideal, honestly, I think if you were drawing up an ideal Ohio State coaching staff, 10 assistants, you'd say you at least want one guy who's played here. And Brian a, Hartline's filling that role too. He's an OSU alum and an Ohio native, right? Yeah. And then I think just things like like being an NFL uh, guy with some recognition there. I mean, you go talk to a player's, you go talk to a recruit or a, a target and his dad will be like, Oh yeah. I remember when you were in a thousand yard receiver for the dolphins. Like you might know what you're talking about. Yeah. I think somebody asked G Scott last year when we got to talk to the early enrollees, if he remembered Brian Hartline in the NFL and he was two years old. So obviously he didn't, he was like, no, but I remember him on Madden. So, I mean, that's cool. Like the, you used to play with him on Madden. Now he's telling you what to do every day. But I do think the alum part and him being an Ohio native, he gets it. Especially you look at Jaden Ballard. He's trying to walk that Ohio, Northeast Ohio native at that, comes to Ohio State as a, uh, as a wide receiver and is trying to get to the NFL. When you're an alum and you're trying to sell somebody on a, on a school you went to, you just get it in a way that everybody else can't. And it's one of those things, this is probably imaginary in my head, but it's like the first day of, I, the first day of uh, spring practice or the first day of preseason camp or whatever, like to be able to say like, hey, for those of you who are putting on a Buckeye helmet for the first time, 
Brian Hartline's going to come up and tell you what it means to wear this uniform. You know what I mean? Like, I don't mean to be cheesy, but it's cool to have a guy who can do that. Luke Fickle could do it for 15 years, and now Brian Hartline can do it. So he checks every box. You will – I mean, again, so what, we're, what are we talking about? We're talking about Ohio native, played at Ohio State, NFL background. He has something as a recruiter. Uh, whatever that is, I mean, the way he relates to guys, and again, other people, when I talked to him – Last year for this story, is like, why are you such a great recruiter? And his answer is, because I don't think of it as recruiting. I'm just being myself. But whatever it is, he establishes relationships with people. That is something. And then also, I think we have to, and everybody knows this, but he is a great technician. And I've said this a lot. When I watch Ohio State receivers run routes and do the little things with their body control and the way they catch the ball with their hands, and but again, their route running – it's better than what I see on NFL teams all the time. I think to myself, and you hear people say that when, you know, when Terry McLaurin gets to the NFL and they say, my God, that guy runs routes like a maniac. It's like, well, I don't know. I mean, Brian Hartline helped teach him that. And I do think, you know, Zach Smith, we all know the ending of Zach Smith. I think people thought Zach Smith was pretty good when he was here. And he was a pretty good recruiter and stuff. But it's a reminder, Brian Hartline has taken it to another level. Brian Hartline has taken it to another level. So he is the guy, Stephen, there – you can't replace everything Brian Hartline is if and when he ever leaves. You're going to notice it. You're going to notice it. And he's like the exception to my rule of assistant coaches are replaceable. When you have a guy who's checking like development, mm-hmm. recruiting, technical aspect, NFL, alum, Ohio native, man, you can't – you're not going to find somebody else who's going to check all those boxes. No, I think you might find someone who can replace the, the, the recruiting aspect and maybe the technical aspect, because that's just like, I mean, are you good at your job or not? But the added layer to it of the Ohio kid who's also played in the NFL and he played at the school, that's just a combination you're not going to be able to find, which is where the drop-off. You might get the number one receiver once every four or five years instead of every single year. But it will be interesting. I, I do think the point you made at the very start of this podcast, Stephen, that I, it's not like the receiver recruiting is going to fall off a cliff. Yeah. Because this is still going to be a place that's going to allow receivers to excel and is going to develop receivers for the NFL. And, and Brian Hartline and Ryan Day are sort of establishing that foundationally. And even when Hartline's gone, I think a bunch of that will linger. So uh, Brian Hartline, again, A-plus from the Texters. A is obviously from all of us. Which leads us to Corey Dennis. And honestly, uh, we got a lot of, of tech subscribers, Nathan, who basically said – I want to give Corey Dennis like an incomplete and that wasn't an option. Um, from the three, three, Oh, I completed the survey. It's hard to grade Corey Dennis. I'm not sure how much he does. Ryan day is the true quarterbacks coach. I guess we will see how prepared the freshman quarterbacks are this spring. I feel Dennis may have worked with them more this fall and day was with, was with fields from the seven Oh eight. It's tough to rank or grade Corey Dennis since Ryan day probably worked a lot with Justin this past year. I gave him a B since there's something in that quarterback room that gives Chris Olave confidence to come back. So uh, from Todd from Michigan, I almost didn't rate Corey Dennis from the 586 because I know he was just holding Day's beer while he coached Fields. But he recruited Quinn Ewers reportedly, and that's a big fish to land. Going forward, considering he probably spent most of his time with Stroud and Miller, their play in 2021 really will be the best reflection of the job he did in 2020. So uh from the 614 the Corey dennis ranking was the hardest no real perspective on how well he did his job last year 
as I think you've mentioned on the pod, this year becomes the first chance to really see how he's doing. Nathan, is that, does that reflect what you were thinking at all? Or did you, were you able to grade Corey Dennis with a level of confidence and say, no, I, I know what this guy's doing. No, I wasn't. And it, uh, the analogy I came up with was I was thinking back to like sixth or seventh grade science class. And we had to do these like projects where you, um, I, I don't remember what the, the, the context was, but I had, I was making like a, a big, like, um, plywood model, um, with clay and stuff of Mars. And I remember bringing it in and like everyone being like really impressed with like this thing that I had done. And guess what my dad's profession was? He was a middle school science teacher. So the kid whose dad is a middle school science teacher should do pretty good on his plywood model of Mars with the little baking soda thing that you do with the volcano or whatever. Maybe that was two different projects. I don't remember. All I'm saying is that like it feels a little bit like Corey Dennis is Nathan Baird and Ryan Day might be Carol Baird. And until there's like some separation there, you don't know what the influence is that is affecting the ultimate grade that Corey Dennis gets. That's a really good analogy. The problem is you don't know what to give cre- give Corey Dennis credit for and what not to give him credit for it. Because, yes, he played a role in Corey Dennis committed to Texas, and he still stayed on him. And eventually – I mean, it's got Quinn Corey, Ewers. Quinn Ewers, I'm sorry, committed to Texas, and Corey, and Corey Dennis still stayed on him. So he ended up flipping. But also, I mean, you can stay on him all you want, but if Ryan Day is not here, he's not flipping to Ohio State. He played a major role in Kyle McCord's recruitment. And Kyle McCord will tell you that every single time you talk to him – and really his dealings after the initial commitment was with Corey Dennis all the time. And he was more excited than anybody in the world when Corey Dennis got uh, promoted to quarterbacks coach because he didn't have to build a relationship with somebody new. He had somebody he already trusted and, and really loved. And Dwayne Haskins would talk about all the time when, you know, Ryan Day was the, the interim head coach for those three games. It was Corey Dennis who named who kept coming up when the first time we talked to Justin Fields and it was, Hey, how are you and Mike Yerses, you know, getting into this playbook and still trying to build a relationship. Well, Corey Dennis has been the bridge for all that. So his name was coming up a lot with the players, but because Ryan day exists and even Mike Yerses existed to some extent, you don't give him any credit for that stuff. And even now next year, whoever wins his quarterback job, is it going to be the same situation where Corey Dennis is just handling the backups and, whether it's C.J. Stroud, Kyle McCord, or Jack Miller, they're just with Ryan Day all the time. So it's you don't know what to give him credit for and what to, and you know what not to give him credit for. So it's hard. I'm gonna view it differently next year, though, right? I mean, yes. I, I think yes. the Texans yeah. are kind of saying, okay, the development of these three young guys—that's that's so whatever portion. Corey Dennis is a guy in the room every day with those guys, watching film building relationships, balancing egos, because there's the development part of the three young quarterbacks. And there's like keeping the two who aren't looking like the number one guy invested or, you know, not what, just even whatever. And during the process of, you know, if you're sharing reps in spring practice and one, one guy has a really good day and the other two guys don't, and how do they handle it? Because the next day you want them to come back and have a good day. I think especially a quarterback where you don't have as many guys, I don't know that stud is like balancing egos in the offensive line room. It's like he has 16 guys in there. It's like get out there and ball people, right? I mean, like if you don't – if you're mad that you're the second-team right guard, play better. I don't know what to tell you, brother. Like go do your thing. You have three or four guys in the quarterback room. You just you, – you're – and it's such an ego-driven position in the best sense of the word because there's so much pressure and credit 
that is there on you, whether you want it or not. It's the life of a quarterback that there's that mental standpoint. And so, again, maybe he's young. He's in his 20s. He's able to relate to these guys. Maybe he's the ideal coach for that. Or maybe these guys are going through it. It's really tough. And Corey Dennis's lack of experience and, frankly, that he's more like an older brother to them than a dad, right, that it's like sometimes you need your dad. It's like a lot of times people talk about, oh, it's like an older brother, you know, whatever. It's like like young is always better. Sometimes you need somebody who is on you and says, like, no, this is what we're doing. And I'm going to lift you up or I'm going to push you to be better. And and it's not all about age, but it is about experience. And so I, I do think, Nathan, I mean, I feel like we know, and most of it is what Steven said, the way other coach, other players have talked about Corey Dennis previously, the way Dwayne Haskins or Justin Fields or that kind of thing, plus the Ewers commitment. But in terms of coaching this quarterback room, I feel we have about 10% of the information on Corey Dennis. But what's going to happen in 2021 is really going to tell us a lot. Well, yeah, and it's not that we don't we we don't know what to give him credit for. We also don't even necessarily know what to criticize him for because Justin Fields ran into some issues this year that we hadn't really seen him run into before. Is any of that reflective of the quarterback coaching he was getting? And if it is, was he getting it from Corey Dennis or was he more or less bypassing Corey Dennis and spending a lot of time with Ryan Day? There are things about that balance that we don't know for sure. So I, I think he has um, – well, we'll get into this more t- on the next segment, I guess. But the, the the job he has to do, I mean, this is this was the year that was kind of his honeymoon period. It was a year for him to kind of get his feet wet as a position coach in some ways. But next year, I mean, the, the Ohio State's 2021 season is the decision that he and Ryan Day make between now and September 2nd or whatever that day is that the season starts. Like, it, it's, it's the, the, the eight-month countdown is on. I think an underrated thing that we're not getting this year, and we didn't get it last year either, so I've only had it once since I've been on this beat, is the coaching clinic. I think it's, it's a clinic. You get to see these guys in action, kind of being coaches a little bit, and basically show you, okay, I know what I'm talking about, and showing you why certain players are having certain success. And especially after that initial time we got to talk, his introductory press conference where he stared off and he just was awful up there. He, was, he didn't give any – if you had any questions – Doug had serious questions when the hire happened that probably didn't put you at any ease. And I think we did a video about how that didn't put you at any ease. It probably made all those questions worse. So I think that would have been an opportunity for him to maybe show some things, even if it just is in that setting of, okay, I know what I'm talking about, and this is some idea of what it's like being in the room with me. I also – and in the end – Listen, how, how do you judge anybody? I think the fairest thing to judge guys on is how do the players at your position perform? So I, I don't know what else we're supposed to go on, right? And so that's why I was very hard on Tim Beck in 2015 because I didn't think Cardale Jones or JT Barrett played to their potential in 2015. We both saw them play better at other times. So that's kind of what I'm going on. One thing about Corey Dennis, and again, I – we keep putting in the, the ifs and buts. You guys get it. Justin wasn't peak Justin every week in 2020. Now, we have the reasons for that, and we've talked about that. We saw what Justin's ceiling was, right? And we understand why he – okay, he didn't have a Chris, Chris Olave against Northwestern. He didn't have Ryan Day calling the plays against Michigan State. He you know, was one week on, one week off for the last half of the year. We understand those reasons. but. Nathan, the fact remains, Justin had a couple rough games. We know how talented Justin is. And in a rough year, 
I mean, rough from the standpoint of your routine is disrupted and all that stuff. I would have thought this is a time when your position coach matters even more. And as you said, Corey Dennis also had COVID at one point and was out. So that factors into it too. I mean, that's a little, I don't know what percent, that's a factor a little bit to me, Nathan, for me with Corey Dennis, is that he had a quarterback who was as talented as anybody in the country who didn't show it every game. And it was hard, but I don't know. Nathan, is that is that fair to consider that? I think it's absolutely fair to consider. I mean, I, I gave him a C, and I think it's it's almost more like with a lot of these other guys, it's like you have the grade book out. And you know what the assignment was. You know how many points it was worth and how many points they got almost. You can kind of – that's the way I look at it with that. With Dennis, it's more of just like a feeling. It's like a vibe. Well, like, okay, for this first quarter or this first assignment or whatever, you get a C. That's just kind of – I remember that it's almost like more like a college grading. There were definitely times in college where I felt like the the, the, as as an English major, like the guys just got like a stack of – of things that got turned in and he's just like, well, gets to the end of it. And he's like, yeah, that seems like a C. Eh, that seems like a B. It wasn't like you're getting graded the way you would on a math test or whatever. So that's kind of how I feel more about like this Corey Dennis grade. I also feel like though, it's like, it's almost like what I was saying with, with, with Tony Alford earlier. It's like, it's almost like because of COVID they're, they're doing remote learning and like, they, they put the test in the mail with the courier and it's on its way here, but we won't know what he gets graded. Like he absolutely gets graded for the work he did with CJ Stroud and Jack Miller this year. That's part of his 2020 grade. That's part of the grade we should be giving him today. We just can't see that test result until the fall or at spring at the earliest, but really until the fall. So that's why it's, it's difficult to grade him now. It really should probably just be an incomplete. If you have to give him something now, I'd call it a C. What would you give him now, Steven? I'd give him a C. Yeah, it's, I, I can't give him any higher than that. Just give him the average grade, and we'll see what happens. 49% C, 42% B, 7% A, 3% D. His overall grade is a 2.54, which is a C plus, roughly, sort of between a C and a C plus. So I think a lot of texters are in the same – place we are and I think if I would have said incomplete is an option I think we would have had 50 percent of the people say incomplete just because all, all the things we talked about here but part of it is too um you come in with your resume and Kevin Wilson's resume is like I was the you know I was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma and the head coach in Indiana and Corey Dennis's resume is like my father-in-law was the head coach here and they yeah. made me they put me on the staff and then I got promoted so I mean that's just reality that's not a shot at anybody, but you carry until you establish yourself on your own, you carry that with you a little bit and you can't compare. I mean, we just went through all the things. Brian Hartline, Ohio native, played at Ohio State, NF, right? I mean, Corey Dennis doesn't have any of that. So he played I mean, at Georgia Tech where they didn't throw the ball, they ran the triple option. He just came in with less. He came in with less. And so then he has more, he has to show more to get a higher grade. So that's where we are. Let's finish this up. Overall staff, and I can remember this at, at various times, people talking about Ohio State, I think at er, times of the Urban Meyer era, having the best, the best coaching staff in the country. You know, it's like you have, um, you know, Greg Schiano's coming in as a former head coach, and everybody loved Tom Herman. And uh, Larry Johnson is a stud. And like Kerry Combs, when he was only a position coach, it's like, man, that guy's a really good position coach. And Luke Fickle was around. 
and people would say things like Ohio State has the best coaching staff in the country. And I was always kind of like, well, I don't know. It's a, that's a hard thing to say. I don't know. But, you know, Alabama, Alabama just rolls through like, do you need, did you get fired? Were you a high profile person who got fired and needs to rehab your career? They just bring in a new Kevin Wilson every year. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian got whacked as a head coach, I think, because he had issues off the field. Comes in, now he's a genius again, goes to Texas to hire Bill O'Brien, who drove the Houston Texans into the ground. Oh, yeah. They traded the state of Texas. Oh, yeah. All <laughs> so, so that's what Saban does now. I mean, but that's a unique Saban plan. And again, we talked about it. Dabo Sweeney just has guys there who stick around forever. And Ohio State's kind of in the middle of those two. What is your overall grade for the offensive assistant coaches as a group? So we just went through them all again by rating. Brian Hartline's a 3.96. That's an A+. Plus. Kevin Wilson, 3.42. It's a B+. Plus. Greg Stoudrawa, 3.26. B+. Plus. Tony Alford, 2.99. A B. Corey Dennis, 2.54. C+. Plus. Nathan, what's your overall grade for the offensive coaching staff? I mean, I just averaged the five that I gave and on a 4.0 scale and came out to 3.2. So, I, you know, a, a, a solid B+. And, but that seems low, and it's really just because you have the, the Corey Dennis grade bringing it down. So um, it should be probably more like a B plus. Steven, what do you have? So, yeah, I, kind of the same thing. I, the, the, do, you, do you lean more – do you curve it more towards the extreme that Brian Hartline is being the A plus, would you say 98% of the people gave him an A? Yeah. Or do you curve it more towards Corey Dennis in that C, that click, as Nathan just said? Bad grades, and we all went to school, bad grades bring your grade down more than good grades help it. So I'll lean more A just because I, I, I don't know enough about the guy who got a C, but I know enough about the other four guys that I think I'm comfortable giving it an A. That's a, that's a good way to look at it. I'll tell you the texters were pretty split, 54% B. 46% A and not a single vote for a C, C, D, or F. Not even a stray, random, hit the wrong button kind of thing. So that's basically split. So that's like a solid like B plus, A minus kind of thing. I think I would give him a B, but I do think in the end, it's like you have one guy who you can't imagine a person doing a better job than Brian Hartline. You have one guy who is not qualified to have his job. That is not up for debate. He's not qualified to have it. But he has it, and he's done some things. I mean, Quinn Ewers is something for Corey Dennis, and we don't know a lot about the rest. So, But the other three guys, I think Stoudrawa, Kevin Wilson, and Tony Alford, I don't know that anybody – like nobody would say they should be replaced. Right. And I even think sometimes on a big time staff, you'll still have, if you have 10 assistants at any one point, you might have two or three guys who you'd be like, man, I kind of think they could do better than that. I don't think they could do better than Tony Alford. There's not a guy that I'm saying, oh, they should go get this up and coming assistant at Utah who should be the new running backs coach. Right. That's not where I, where I am. Greg Stoudrawa, there was a time when I would have been like, all right, that's kind of like Greg Stoudrawa is like a remnant from the urban Bowling Green staff. I think maybe they could do something better here, but I don't think that right now with Stud, and I don't think that with Kevin Wilson. I think if I think you could find, pro, I think you could probably find somebody similar, but I don't think you're pushing them out. So that's pretty good because Nathan, I mean, right, even at Ohio State. You could be thinking they really 
people who listen to this podcast know at various times, I have thought that like they really have a couple guys on this staff. They should replace. And on this offensive side of the ball, it's the risk on the young guy, but the other four guys are at the worst solid. And the risk on the young guy is somewhat mitigated by who you have as a head coach. So it, mm-hmm. it's like, it, it's, it, I, I've always thought that it's more what the cohesive group can do together. And you can't, you can, you can't have a bad coach in there, a guy who's just not doing his job, a guy who is, is not engaged to do his job. But if, if everybody's doing that and you've got a good rapport as a staff and good communication, I think those things ultimately are as important as anything else. Um, just from things I've seen out, seen play out on other staff. So they, they seem to be have a good balance of that right now. Um, but things are obviously going really well. So come back to me when it's nine and three, and we'll see how, how this staff is getting along. And part of it is, I mean, not part of it, this is the staff that Ryan Day inherited and kept. He kept the offensive staff. He didn't keep the defensive staff other than Larry Johnson. So, what, so in terms of cohesion, he just replaced him, you know, he replaced himself with Mike Yersich, and then one year later it's Corey Dennis. But Ryan Day has been working with Hartline and Stud and Alford and Kevin Wilson for a long time. And he liked that cohesion, didn't see a need to change it. And I think, Nathan, I think that's part of it too. I, th- I bet you the cohesion of this staff is at a very, very high level. I actually think I'm probably changing my grade. I probably think if you're leaning only between A and B, I think it probably is an A. I think it probably is an A. Maybe it's like an A minus or like yeah, a really I, high B plus. Yeah, that's, where, that's where I'm at. A, it's higher than a B. I, I think if the, if the coaches were listening to this podcast, and I'm sure they do, because what else do they have to do? Um, I think they would hear that from the fans and hear like whatever it was, 57-43 is the split between B and A. I think they would almost like that. It would be like, you think we're doing a good job, but your standards are high. You're holding us to – you're going to make us really earn an A, which I don't <laughs> – which, I mean, we just had like one of the highest scoring offenses in the country two years in a row and made the playoffs twice and made the national championship game. So we're, they're accomplishing a lot as it is. But I, think, I just think if I was a coach that I'd be fine with hearing that kind of split from my fan base. And it is a little bit complicated in that I think most of us apply most of the offensive scheme stuff today. Yes. So this is mostly in evaluating, because when we get to the defensive stuff, we're going to be talking scheme with Kerry Combs and how his grades affected by that in a way we aren't talking here, even though Kevin Wilson is heavily involved. This is mostly recruiting and player development. And when you look across the board at basically every position, man, they're in pretty darn good shape with all that stuff offensively. Do we want to throw Ryan Dan here since he's an offensive guy? I know he's a head coach, but we don't, we don't because we're already at an hour, but I I know what you're saying. And I think we probably need to have like a Ryan day podcast, actually. Like we're doing an assistant coach podcast on each side of the ball. We probably just need to do a full Ryan day grade Ryan day. And then we could break up Ryan day into 10 categories, hiring, recruiting, you know, scheme, motivation, keeping the ship afloat, right? I mean, I think we could do something like that. Oh, okay, write it down and write down that we're going to do that. So, um, but I do think overall, this is, is, I think, closer to an A staff than a B staff. Because if you said, okay, it's a B, then it's like, well, what do you need to change to make it an A? And it's like, I guess replace the 20-year-old, the 20-something quarterbacks coach. It's like, okay. But what would you replace otherwise? I, I don't have any big recommendations on replacements. So they're in pretty good shape. They're in pretty but good it, shape. I but think it's what's also be the point. Is, go ahead, Nathan. 
I was going to say, it, it gets back to like in 2018, you didn't think the whole defensive staff was bad, but there were definitely a couple of defensive coaches who were bringing that grade down, right? So the, the same thing kind of does still apply here. The same concept does apply that even if four of these guys are doing a great job, if this quarterback's coach really doesn't work out going into this fall and these quarterbacks aren't where they need to be, it affects how good this team will be in 2021. I think that's also uh, – it's going to be interesting when we do the defense because there are some elements that are kind of similar, I think, when how we'll approach it to how we approach the offense where there's a guy where it's – he's a clear A extreme. He's probably going to get 98% of the A's and it's, he's irreplaceable, yada, yada, yada. But then on the other end of it, there's a guy that we're not really sure what to do with because we're not really sure, you know, how much he's actually responsible with for. And uh, to be fair, the 2018 defense, there were at least like two – maybe three coaches that were murdering that defense, oh, yeah. murdering that defense every day. So Greg, Schiano, Bill that, Davis, and maybe Alex Grinch. Right. Not maybe, not maybe Alex Grinch was murdering. So, so that He's was, not just uh, and, and Tabor Johnson wasn't very good. The one year either. I mean, it's like, that was like Larry Johnson, which is why again, it's the only Larry Johnson is the only one that survived. I mean, honestly, if we had graded the 2018 defensive staff, that, that staff has a whole money gotten a D for real for what oh, yeah. they did that year. So anyway, all right, that's our grading system for the offensive assistance. We will, I think we're, is it correct that we're doing the big pods on Wednesdays now? Is that a fair to assume that's a better fit? I think it is right. I think so. so. I, think, yeah. I think we might do a rapid fire, big rapid fire two hour Wednesday and then come back with a defensive assistance later in the week and finish that off. So we have some other stuff that's going to be working in. We appreciate you guys being part of Buckeye talk and helping, you know, work out the schedule. It's very helpful to us. Um, try the texts. Good interaction with the texters. 614-350-3315. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. I haven't checked the reviews lately. If you have anything to drop on Apple Podcasts, we certainly would appreciate it. But for now, for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.